0: And welcome to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Sotak Andre. And boy, it's been a while. I want to apologize for the lack of episodes. It's been uh, a very eventful last third of uh, 2018. And I honestly had just been procrastinating and um, I kept postponing the podcast, even though I very much so enjoy making these episodes. But I hereby promise that uh, in this 2019, Um, It will be my New Year's resolution that I do not miss uh, episodes and I will do my best to put out an episode a week at least. So with that, I wish everyone a Happy New Year and I hope that you will make uh, 2019 a very productive year and you will achieve all of your goals that you set out for yourself. In this episode, I am joined by not one, but two people. I am joined once again by Vincent Fasparanya who has been here before for the Deload table with Abel. And um, alongside him, I'm also joined by Marty Kendall, who you might be familiar with. Marty has been putting out some amazing content over at his uh, website called optimizingnutrition.com. And he has a very, very popular Facebook group. And I have been following his work for a while now, so I'm I'm very honored that he has been able to, to join me and Vincent in this episode. So this will be a first part, actually, of a more than two hour discussion that we had. And in this first part, we mostly um, focused on the concept of nutrient density and we addressed a ton of uh, questions and topics related to it, including um, how we should actually rank the nutrient density of uh, common foods, what are some of the most beneficial foods, If you want to maximize the nutrient density of your diet, what are some uh, nutrients that are harder to get by and perhaps you should consider supplementing with? And you also addressed the controversial topic of the carnivore diet. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'm sure you will learn a ton from it. So, with that, let's get right into episode 20 of the Muscle Engineer Podcast with Marty Kendall and Vincent Sparagna. Vincent, welcome back to the podcast. Marty, welcome to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Likewise. Great to have you on, guys. So, Marty, I think I only came across your work when you were featured on Denny's Sigma Nutrition Radio, and I was honestly really impressed with what you put out there. Thank you. And I really was looking forward to have you on, and thanks to Vincent, now we have this opportunity.
1: Great to be here. We got chatting on Facebook, and then Vincent said, hey, we should have a chat on a podcast and record it. Looking forward to having a talk.
0: Awesome, so the listeners should be familiar with Vincent already, but uh, for anyone who is uh, maybe not familiar with you, could you just briefly describe what you do um, with your nutrient optimizer and maybe tell us a couple
1: of words about that uh, challenge you have going on right now in January? Yeah, yeah, um, thank you for the opportunity. Um, by day, I'm a, I was, I'm a civil engineer, so I sort of think systemically and systematically trying to optimize things in my day job. And I suppose the background is wife is type one diabetic and trying to understand nutrition to optimize her blood sugar control and diabetes control, which is really relevant for a lot of people. So three or four years ago, I started blogging at optimizing nutrition and developed a whole lot of interesting thoughts and it's sort of taken off and had a lot of fun doing that. And over the last year we've developed the nutrient optimizer platform, which sort of implements all that and puts it into actionable tools that help people start at one end and come out the other where they need to be and where they want to be so that that's not just the the detailed micronutrients or optimizing your macronutrients for your goals but also you know making it a daily habit um, to help you move forward one step at a time to do the little things that get you where you need to be. And then the challenge, um, yeah, we're looking at launching with a challenge starting the 2nd of January. I don't know when this is coming out, but um, people can jump in and, and be a part of that and basically access the Nutrient Optimizer platform for free until the 10th of February um, when that ends. So we've got three different categories. One is all-out weight loss, so how much weight in percentage terms can you lose during that six weeks. Um, the second is blood sugar control, so how much can you decrease your blood sugar to improve your overall diabetes control, obviously a lot of people are really challenged by diabetes, and then it's the, the third is sort of a, a blend of that for weight loss and diabetes control because weight loss and diabetes are obviously intimately linked. And as a um, you know, the more fat your body is carrying, the harder it is for your body to absorb that excess energy, and the more it overflows back into your bloodstream. So we see those two as really intimately linked. Um, maybe in the future. We'll be looking at doing how can you uh, looking at optimizing your nutrition to the point of, you know, let's get the maximum nutrient density score and and that'll be part of the competition. But for the moment, we're just focusing on those three things. At the moment, we've got about a thousand people joined um, and there's about two thousand dollars in the prize pool. So 80 um, percent of that gets split between the winners. So the top three in uh, in nutri- uh, in weight loss in blood sugar control and those uh that combination of the two and anybody who significantly reduces their blood sugars or reduces their weight by four percent um gets a free nutrient optimizer report which gives them a whole lot of detail about um how to optimize their their, their, their diet and their blood sugar control and their nutrient density and their protein targets etc
0: awesome sounds like a fantastic uh, challenge and uh unfortunately i'm not um I'm not a likely candidate to win (laughs) uh, these kinds of challenges. But still, it would be very cool. And I'm sure that uh, with uh, a thousand people you said you have there, it will there will be some amazing transformations and um, probably will benefit uh, a large percentage of the participants.
1: Really looking forward to it. It's really exciting. A lot of momentum, a lot of chatter in the Facebook group and people really starting to make progress already, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there's a huge benefit to the... Um, support group and the uh, social and um, this whole sort of um, um, group environment because um, it's really tough to succeed on your own but when you are surrounded by like-minded people who are um, driven and are trying to achieve a similar result as yours I assume that it can be very um, motivating and um, it for sure will not hurt anyone so fine. So what about the blood sugar? How do you, how do you judge that? Is that a fasted blood glucose? Is that HbA1c? What sort
1: of um, markers are you investigating or following? Just simply morning blood sugar. So when you wake, take your blood sugar and we're looking at how that decreases from when you start to when you finish. And um, part of the nutrient optimizer and part of the optimizing nutrition philosophy is managing the insulin load of your diet, um, which means just the amount of insulin that someone injecting there themselves like a type 1 diabetic would need to inject we can calculate that based on the, the macronutrient composition um, and just stabilizing the insulin load of your diet helps to stabilize blood sugars and that's the often the first step we find in progressing to optimizing your weight um, it helps to stabilize helps to stabilize appetite often by that point you get out of the hyperpalatable fat plus carb zone that we find we overeat a lot more when we have those mixtures of fat and carb we sort of avoid that and once you stabilize your blood sugar you can then move forward to maybe hey i actually want to lose a bit more fat Um, my my weight loss is stalled i want to keep moving forward and that's where you sort of dial in the satiety and and target fat loss all out
0: uh brilliant and um, this obviously is um this uh, starting point is obviously in according, in accordance or in the, um, um, fits perfectly with this time of the year when so many people start out the new year and go on their new year resolutions. And uh, hopefully that a large percentage of those people will follow through um, with their resolutions by April or May or <laughs> in, even
1: by this time next year. Yeah, yeah that, that'd, be, that'd be great. And we, we're trying to build habits as well. There's like more than 200 different habits that people log in and actually say, yeah, I did did that today. I did that again today. I did that again today. And you get points and it's gamified and you get to compete on the ladder and you, you build your avatar and you level up. And so I've tried to develop a whole lot of gamified aspects to the platform that'll make it addictive and bring on healthy competition. So with a 1,000 people in in there, it's going to be quite massive to see the competition and, and who gets uh, the results from managing the health of their avatar that will then flow back into the real world. Yeah, that's so cool.
0: Actually, I was listening to Joe Rogan, and they had something similar going on in November, I think. They had some sort of activity challenge going on who can get in the most activity, I think, at Joe won. But he said that um he had like he was doing sometimes five, six, seven hours of of running and weights and that kind of combined activity per day, which is just uh, just shows you how much people can uh, actually um how much work they are willing to put in when this sort of um comparison is uh, is ahead of them and uh, especially if it's someone they know a friend. I mean, they, we all have these thoughts, but I'm not going to lose to that person. I can show them that I'm I'm better than them, I'm tougher than them, I can do more. <laughs> so it's really cool.
1: Yeah, we're trying to harness the power of addictive gamification and social media for good and not evil. So yeah, often we just sit in our butts and watch Netflix and scroll Facebook and don't actually do anything. But yeah, we can use that same technology to, to empower us, to improve our lives. Great. Vincent, do you have any
0: questions? Would you like to... Uh, ask Margie something about this uh, this challenge. I if you, if I know know it correctly, you are also joining this challenge as a
2: participant yourself. It's pretty motivated by the sounds. Yeah, right? I'm gonna win. <laughs> I'm there pretty competitive. <laughs> love it. At least the weight loss part. I'm not pricking myself with a needle for blood sugar. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, One common criticism of this challenge, at least that. I, I've heard, is the fact that you're monitoring success in weight loss with regards to percentage of body weight loss. And while that can make more sense than measuring this in absolute terms, it is still easier for a heavier person to lose a larger percentage of their body weight, and they can do so while sacrificing less lean mass loss. Do you think that this adversely affects the potential? Go on.
1: Yeah, um, I think it'd be ideal to target fat loss, but I suppose we we did go backwards and forwards on that and uh, decided to target total weight loss just because you know not everybody has a dexa or body fat scales and uh you know that the bioimpedance i think are good over a long-term trend but they fluctuate quite wildly on a day-to-day basis so it's probably not um as accurate to just have uh to to, to look at the body weight based on what everybody has at home but yeah if, if you had a, a more of a clinical setting and it was a funded thing and everybody could go and do the DEXA and all those sort of things would be definitely ideal to target um, body fat and a lot of the, the platform is really focused on maximizing muscle gain and minimizing body fat through tweaking your macros and actually tracking your biometric progress to say are you losing more fat than muscle and if not, if you're losing more muscle than fat, let's dial in your protein um, to make sure you're not continuing to lose muscle and that's a critical part um, and I think it's really useful to track your biometrics to make sure that your current dietary setup is actually giving you what you want. So that's where the you know weight body fat percentage and blood sugar are really key biometrics to actually know whether you're going in the right direction. Um, blood sugar is really important, not just for diabetes, but um, you know, just to know whether you're overfueled. If you wake up in the morning and your blood sugar is high, it's like, yeah, you, you had too much to eat, you ate too late and you need to do something about it today. So um, yeah, back to your point. Yeah, it, it would be ideal, but it, it would exclude a lot of people. So um.
2: that's very fair. Although it is just worth noting that While fat loss is the overall goal here, weight loss can be influenced by various other factors. So, for example, you could get some weight loss by stopping creatine supplementation. Mm, mm, You can mm. get a bit of weight loss if you chop your arm off. Hopefully, (laughs) nobody will do that. You can also go about losing weight by... You can dehydrate yourself, spend a lot of time in a sauna, etc.
0: Yeah, Vincent has some very fair points, but, I mean, at the end of the day, we are not talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars so that you desperately would have to win. And if you're being honest here, probably that person who has the most amount of weight to lose could probably use the most amount of motivation. I mean, if someone is, whatever, 15% body fat and they would like to use this challenges opportunity to get down to 10, I mean, I don't think they would need the financial reward to, to achieve that. Meanwhile, a person who maybe has 45% body fat and they would like to get to 35 or 30 or 20 something, Perhaps they would need that um, financial you know, gain also to to keep them motivated to, to do something about this.
1: Yeah, if you f- it, it's free to be involved in the, the challenge without contributing to the prize pool, but if you put fifty dollars in, you get to be part of the prize pool, and that's we just figure that's enough to keep people's interest and keep them going for the the full six weeks to get to the end and
2: uh, yeah, keep focused and keep going to the end. One potential suggestion that could improve adherence for fat loss potentially is having those who invested money into this actually upload shirtless selfies or whatever towards the beginning of the contest such that we can get very accurate before and afters, but upload those to the group as to benefit from the group support adherence portion.
1: Yeah. In the platform, there's an option to upload a, a progress pick and yeah we're encouraging people who want to be in contention for actually winning a prize particularly to show this is me at the beginning this is me at the end to 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 justify the to validate their weight loss but yeah no it'd be really interesting challenge to to see how it goes and there's people already dropping weight and you know one lady had massive drops in her blood sugar and it's like wow this is really powerful this is really cool and uh, I, I think it'll really help people overall
2: I think another very cool benefit to the Nutrient Optimizer platform is that it gives people a secondary goal to pursue all the while. It's not just about losing weight. It's losing weight while putting up the best numbers or putting up at least good numbers with regards to nutrient density. And shifting that focus can give a better silver lining to the potential benefits of weight loss and that it also ingrains proper dietary habits that people will need to maintain this weight loss
1: yeah definitely definitely and that's definitely our focus you yeah, know weight loss is nice but yeah definitely the the maintainable long term habits of improving nutrient density food quality um maintaining good blood sugar control focusing on building lean body mass is definitely what we're most passionate about and have it embedded into the platform
0: okay so um marty good luck with the challenge and i'm really excited to see the results thanks man cool so as our first main uh, talking point for today um, we should start with uh, one uh, key principle that um, you um, you keep around um, at the forefront of every pretty much every article you write, and the, uh, a principle that should be the um, a major characteristic of every successful uh, fat loss diet, uh, and that is nutrient density. So if um, Marty, if you'd like, could you please um, tell us how you like to define or how you like to think about nutrient density
1: and um, maybe we can move on from there. And I suppose at the simplest level, it's just the nutrients per calorie is how we think about it, um, but then, then then it's more complex than that. I mean, what we the goal essentially is to say we need to get all our daily essential vitamins, minerals, um, uh, essential fatty acids and amino acids from our diet without excess energy so we say well that that's our goal and um, then how we measure that and how we quantify that gets more interesting and there's been a number of different ways of looking at that and joel firman looked at it in terms of um, just vitamins and minerals and a whole lot of more esoteric measurements that not a lot of people quantify or they're not quantified for all foods. And then Matt Lalon did a really interesting piece where he said, Well, screw that, we're gonna look at all the essential vitamins and minerals and add them all up. And what comes out there is a very, very, very protein heavy diet that's like sixty or seventy percent protein um and on a on a per unit weight basis and that like when i looked at that in more detail that didn't make as much sense to just be eating bacon or or, or just be eating uh, muscle meat so i said okay what what we really need to do um, nutrient density in a way is is dependent on who you are what your goals are and what your current diet is so if you're not getting enough potassium and magnesium and calcium nutrient density for you are are foods that contain more of those foods uh, nutrients that you need more of but if you're a if you're a vegan and uh on a plant-based diet need more b12 and omega-3 and choline then nutrient density means something different to you so what we try to do is say who are you what's your baseline diet um what's your diet type are you paleo your low carb your keto and, and we sort of typify um typical nutrients that those people are lowering and say well these are the nutrients that you'll need to target and therefore these are the foods that contain more of those nutrients not just one but maybe eight or ten of those essential nutrients that people find harder to get um, and then if you want to go th- go to another deeper level you can actually quantify that and track your own food and say what's my typical diet over a week and which foods will help me rebalance that and um yeah we, ne- we enable you to log your, log your food in chronometer and then upload it to the nutrient optimizer which will then tell you uh which foods and which meals you should prioritize to keep rebalancing your micronutrient profile and people over a number of weeks of doing that and just continually refining their diet have really good results and a lot of them go wow i'm you know i'm satiated i i don't feel as hungry i'm able to get away with less food than i used to um, when i pursue and prioritize nutrient density
0: yeah i've actually seen that tool and it's such a fantastic um, resource for people um, that they can upload their data and uh, they get the feedback on what they are missing because for example they might eat the same stuff day in and day out especially if they are more of the hardcore bodybuilder type only it's these amounts from these foods and they might not even realize that um, they might be going for days or even weeks or even months um, uh, while being deficient in this particular micronutrient and that could potentially lead to some health issues down the line so it's a very very cool uh, uh, tool you have developed there, Marty.
1: It it just seemed obvious that someone should have developed it, but um, you know,
2: it needed to be done and nobody had done it, so we, we got out there and did it. One comment concerning Marty's response to your initial question. You note that, at least on an individual level, you rate nutrient density depending on which nutrient the individual is in need of. But I've also seen you publicize a few charts that have nutrient density as its own axis in a graph. For a general nutrient density rating, how do you rank the different levels of nutrient content in different foods? So for example, if you have two isochloric foods that have the same number of calories, one of these foods has more sodium and the other one has more potassium, which would be more nutrient dense given your calculations and why?
1: Yeah. yeah, And and yeah, as you said, there's a quantified nutrient density for um, about a hundred different, slightly different approaches to food, whether it be, autoimmune paleo or low carb or ketogenic or lowest protein or whatever just to try and develop some relationship between nutrient density and and different sort of food approaches to to diet and food but um the overall nutrient density score we look at is to say well you've got 34 essential nutrients uh, and we need all of those and have to see it visually ideally but we put a cut off at three times the um, adequate intake for all of the nutrients so if you're getting 20 times your vitamin k1 requirement we say well that doesn't count only three times counts so if you are able to get three times your adequate intake you get a score of 100 percent. so why is it 300 percent don't you only need 100%? Well, yeah, sort of, but one uh, 300% gives you a nice sort of cutoff that enables you to get a lot of, you know, 70%, 80 90% sort of um, rankings. Uh, and, and, yeah, maybe 100% is adequate, but a little bit more is often not, often not bad. But a diet that has, you know, 20 times your vitamin A requirement because you're eating a lot of liver, but no potassium and no magnesium is or very little because liver may not contain those harder to find nutrients. is not, 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 not really nutrient-dense overall in the big picture. So we try to consider nutrient density based on all uh, the micronutrients. But nutrient density for you is, is sort of based on what you're currently eating and what you need to eat more of. So a relatively nutrient-dense food will be one that contains more of the nutrients that you're currently ha- finding harder to get hope that sort of answers your question. And there's an article on the nutrient density score on the, the Optimizing Nutrition blog that goes through that in a whole lot more detail.
2: So to summarize, you would roughly say that the, the nutrients are weighted in terms of scarcity as most important to prioritize. So those foods that are highest in rare nutrient density per calorie. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. In, in, in our food system, it can be um, easy to find... A number of nutrients, particularly amino acids, are very easy to find. But once we prioritize those, you know, um, calcium, magnesium, potassium, choline, even sodium can be harder to find in unprocessed foods. Uh, we, we get a more nutrient-dense overall profile. Um, and at the same time, we get plenty of protein. Just by prioritizing the, the harder to find nutrients, we, we don't really have to prioritize protein. Um, A nutrient-dense diet is chock-a-block
2: full of protein. So considering that is out of the way, and we know how these nutrient scores are being ranked, I noticed that some foods many consider to be nutrient-dense, for example, avocados, nuts, legumes, or dairy, tend to rank low in terms of nutrient density on your scale. So that is per calorie nutrient density. Can you explain why this might be the case and what its implications are?
1: I suppose that's the fundamental concept of, of nutrient density is it's nutrients per calorie. So if you're only eating two two and 2,500 calories per day or you're dieting down at um, a 1,000 calories a day, if you're really aggressive, you've got to get your nutrients in with those available calories. So um, an avocado may have heaps of potassium, heaps of fiber, but it, it it's a very fatty food that... Um, yeah sure we may want our our monounsaturated fats but um, it doesn't contain all those other nutrients at the same time um, in a high nutrient to calorie ratio so um, you know nutrient density is like like keto it's a term that a lot of people use to describe the foods that they like and i think are good but have got no Um, rational numerical quantitative way of uh, you know defining why they think that is nutrient dense so yeah things like avocados nuts uh, and dairy are fine foods and people do really well on them and obviously from a population perspective lots of people eat those foods and thrive really well especially at maintenance um, but if you're looking at uh, trying to get your nutrients in with a limited calorie budget in a dieting circumstance, they may not be the best. And I know from living in, in the keto sphere and a lot of people, you know, when they throw out their fear of fats and, you know, they're, they're going the nuts and the cream and the dairy and unlimited avocados. And if you tally that up in Chronomedia, you've um You've, you've logged a lot of calories there but maybe a lot of not a lot of nutrients and yeah you basically got to think of it as a, a calorie budget to get your nutrients at the same time and then you mentioned legumes um, legumes do okay if you say well I I'm, I'm plant-based only and I don't want any animal-based foods and, and they tend to come to the fore to provide your protein and and things that your animal- based foods tend to provide um, but if you've got animal products in your diet, if if you're an omnivore, then legumes don't really rank really high. They're fine foods and, and they do okay, but they're just not optimal if you're looking for the optimal
2: nutrient density approach. Interesting. And what would you say of a counter argument to this position on consuming dairy or legumes or avocados or whatever, thinking that perhaps looking at nutrient density in these cases might be short-sighted if nutrient density can account for things like different phytochemical contents or differences in probiotic content other compounds that might be beneficial for health outside of mere nutrients
1: yeah i mean what we can quantify you've got to deal with what you can quantify and there's a lot of esoteric arguments about viscosity and phytochemicals and tannins and anti-nutrients and um, all those sorts of things that you can bring into the picture but if you can't quantify it you can't really systematize it so what we do is say we know about 34 essential nutrients that we can quantify. We've got the USDA database for 8,000 foods and we can use that to quantify meals, etc., etc. So, I mean, they're they're really nice arguments, but if you can't quantify it, you can't really systematise it and use that data. And really, if you do have a diet that contains, you know, plenty of those essential nutrients, then I think you're typically going to get... All those other nice to haves as well coming on for the ride, and from a anti nutrient um, bio bioavailability perspective, um, if you eliminate the nutrient dense foods, which tend to be vegetable oils and, and starches and processed, highly processed grains, then you eliminate a lot of those anti nutrients and, and those other things that people. Get the knickers tied in a knot about to try and reject the idea of nutrient density, but uh, you know, you, you by following a nutrient dense diet, you eliminate those things that have the things you don't really want. So, Tak, have
2: any comments?
0: Yeah, so I really, really like um, Marty that um, you also keep calories in the forefront because we we all know that there are those uh, um, well, there are the tarts who just measure uh, millimoles and only care about those values, and there are the insulin guys who only care about insulin and say that calories don't matter so it's really cool that you're not only prioritizing nutrients but you're also prioritizing um energy intake which uh, is something that we can all agree on that is super important to you. it's probably even more important than nutrient themselves for weight loss and uh, body composition
1: yeah it's definitely all interrelated and um once you like energy balance is really important i think you know if you could argue it's the most important thing that you need to worry about when it comes to diet but at the same time uh, not many people other than the dude who did the twinkie diet who said he was really 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 hungry can stick to a really really crap diet that is nutrient poor full of fats and uh, fats and uh, and carbs together um and continue to lose weight we tend to be creatures that respond to our appetite and tend to eat enough not to feel insanely hungry because our body just knows how to survive and preserve lean muscle mass and uh, you know that's the priority so you know you'll find a way of most people unless they're a competition bodybuilder will find a way to work around my fitness power chronometer and eat a little bit more and and trick themselves so part of the quest in all this is to systematize diet to find a way that will help them to be full and not be thinking about food and not be hungry and be satiated. And whether that be through satiety or minimizing cravings due to nutrient deficiencies, um, they've all got to work together. And um, I used to be one of those, those ketards who used to worry about hmm. insulin. And my wife is a type 1 diabetic, so insulin is a really real thing for me. And quantifying insulin is, is, a, is a very big deal. For me, and I've done a lot of work to try and quantify um, how much insulin you require. But um, I, the more I've looked at it, the more I've realised that it's really just once you get out of that carb plus fat zone to maybe less than thirty percent carbohydrates, or maybe greater than sixty percent carbohydrates. You eliminate all those processed, hyperpalatable, low satiety, low nutrient density foods that enable you to be satiated, and you, you look at your chronometer and what, what have I tracked? It's like I oh am—I'm yeah, I'm really easily under my target today, and uh, I didn't really have to think, I didn't have to deprive myself, I didn't have to strain, and you know, I'm, I'm not thinking about that donut and the cookie and the, you know the thing I'm eliminating from my diet because I'm satiated. So that—that's—it's all interrelated, and yeah, but calories are potentially the most important and the end goal but i don't think it's always prioritizing calories alone is not always the way to get to that end goal at least for the general population who's not weighing and measuring everything they eat oh yeah 100 percent.
0: i just insist on it because i like to start from first principles and uh, if you cannot agree on um, energy balance first then we're just kind of Uh, talking past each other and uh, it's really becomes an unproductive argument definitely and energy
1: balance really matters and on the on the measuring millimoles of ketones you know it's been really fascinating to see you know i jumped on the you know getting involved in measuring my ketones and keto clarity came out five years ago and i was there trying to get my ketones up and loading up with butter and mct and and bulletproof coffees and then you go well i've put on 10 kilos and I look like crap what happened there um and then it's interesting to see like the Verta two-year results that the big Verta study ketogenic study has just come out and you know they, they they their ketone values went from maybe 0.1 or 0.2 to 0.6 after a few weeks but then they settled down over the longer period and after a year they were down at 0.18 and after two years they're still down at 0.18 And that's what we see over and over again, is once people um, optimize their diet, improve their muscle mass, lose some body weight, they, I don't know whether it's they use ketones better or they don't have as much energy floating around their bloodstream anymore. And, um, you know, really diabetes is a situation where you you can't store any more energy in your body fat your body fat says no I'm full rack off we, we can't take any more so it then overflows into your your vital organs and your bloodstream and that's where you see elevated blood sugars um body uh, like like um cholesterol in your bloodstream as well as high levels of ketones and you know um an, an optimized body doesn't necessarily need high levels of energy floating around the bloodstream all the time i can access it efficiently from the body fat stores that aren't over full so yeah i just on that that measuring ketones i think it's a it's a really interesting topic that we're learning a lot about and um yeah chasing ketones is definitely not the end goal so along the lines
0: of the energy balance um concern what about um low fat dairy for example because obviously then the calorie count is uh, lower but um the nutrient density might then relatively speaking be higher because me personally i uh i eat a ton of um, greek yogurt i eat a ton of cottage cheese and most of them it's either uh two percent fat at at most or it's usually the 0.5 or 0.1 percent fat-free version
1: yeah, yeah I, and i I similarly at the moment on a similar sort of journey to you trying to lean down a little bit and um yeah I eat a, a good chunk of lean cottage cheese and um and it can be actually quite nutrient dense per calorie. But you've got to admit, like, it, optimizing, maximizing nutrient density for all people all the time is not necessarily the goal. Um, cause a lot of people are happy at the current weight they're at or they need to gain weight. So for those people, you're going to tolerate a higher energy density and a higher, uh, a lower nutrient density that'll enable them to maintain weight. Um, so that's where the avocados and nuts and, legumes and full-fat dairy will be fine for someone who's happy with their body weight or they're a endurance athlete and trying to get those calories in so it's a matter of saying who are you what are your goals and therefore how can we optimize your foods for those choices and from a population level that would Vincent was talking about we are uh, you know that it often doesn't think about who are those people and you know yeah sure that they're the catavans the or the Okinawans who had very low access to food so um Those sort of foods were were great for those people, but if you're a diabetic, if you're someone who's trying to be a bodybuilder, if you're an athlete, if you're trying to manage something that you need therapeutic ketosis for, you've got a different, um, you need to target your diet in a different way.
0: Excellent. So moving on, then um, what would be your um, highest ROI, your um, best bank for your calorie buck foods that you would like? everyone to include in their diets um, regardless if they are um, dieting for fat loss or for uh, muscle gain and uh, maybe we can differentiate between these two scenarios um, um, moving forward.
1: Yeah, I suppose that the thing you need to exclude are the the cheap hyperpalatable foods of uh, grains and vegetable oils and sugars to some extent though I think sugars have decreased in importance in uh, in concern really because you know sweetness came in and people are using a lot less sugar in the diet these days um at the other end it seems to be fish and veggies seem to rank really really high on in terms of nutrient density and satiety it's really hard to overeat those foods and people do really well Um, they tend to be more expensive potentially uh but you you sort of have to invest in in those foods and you know the spinach and the the broccoli and uh, those sort of non-starchy green veggies and then you've got the just digging up a chart um, seaweed celery onions cucumber um, artichokes zucchini um, yeast extract can actually be quite nutrient dense um, chicory greens And, and then when it comes to to seafood, you've got crab, lobster, um, crayfish, um, halibut, octopus, oysters, um, caviar, all those sort of things are, are very nutrient dense and give you a lot of, of bang for your buck. Um, again, they're not necessarily the, the cheapest foods out there, but often you get what you pay for and you've got to prioritize y- y- your diet if you want to be healthy to some degree
0: and what about liver because most of the foods you mentioned there have really high water content which again is is helpful if you need a ton of volume however um, if you need to eat um, because i'm sure you know that graph which compares and they would be like well uh, broccoli has this much vitamin this whereas um, red meat only has this amount but when you compare the uh, actual amounts of foods you would have to eat you could eat 100 grams of steak or you would need a kilo of broccoli or something like that so in a practical sense we can't um we can't be walking around all day with distended stomach uh, stomachs from all this food we have to down to get our nutrients in so what about the liver for example what about red meat these are mostly animal sources which are really um concentrated in nutrients even though they might not uh, link that high on the nutrient density categorization i guess
1: yeah i think those little Graphics that you see between the, the the plant-based and the animal-based people arguing is, is always fascinating. And, you know, you think, well, your broccoli, you're taking in 23 calories and your steak is 300 calories, so you're really, really not comparing apples for apples. It's a com- complete, you know, you can't really compare those two things. Um, overall, we see the best diets, the most nutrient-dense dietary approaches are a combination of animal and plant-based foods um liver is really nutrient dense when it comes to a number of vitamins particularly vitamin a is right off the chart you can actually get vitamin poisoning from vitamin vitaminosis a from having too much liver story of the explorers who ate too many too much polar bear liver when they were really really hungry um got you know didn't feel too well and got sick from that but um yeah liver is nutrient dense in a way but again it only contains a limited number of nutrients so when it comes to a a wide variety of nutrients it doesn't contain a a massive variety so that's where you've got to look at you know what am i not getting enough of and which foods contain that and that may or may not be liver and you know um nothing wrong with eating organ meats and they're fantastic that they are nutrient dense but i just I've, i've been analyzing nearly a thousand different recipes in chronomy to try and look for the most nutrient dense ones. And often they're that combination of, um, maybe anchovies or mussels or with fish and uh, like, uh, mackerel or sardines and with spinach and, and something else like that, that combines. And I don't see many, uh, nutrient dense recipes that contain Organ meats, I think, just because when people eat organ meats, they slather a whole lot of other stuff with it to make to to, to drown out the taste of that. And by the time you've added all those sauces and whatever, you've got so many other calories that dilute the nutrient density. But um, if if you want to get into your liver, then then go for it. It's definitely a quick way to get a lot of vitamin A.
2: So to circle back to something that Marty mentioned a bit earlier, it was the nutrient optimizers' inability to account for bioavailability, and or anti-nutrient content that leads some people to criticisms. And he defended this point by noting that bioavailability and nutrient content aren't necessarily quantifiable, so it's hard to work them into calculations. How would, do you generally think about bioavailability in terms of certain nutrient-dense foods? So for example, iron and legumes often lacks bioavailability, or anti-nutrient content, so seeds might be high in anti-nutrients what are some general thoughts to keep in mind when the practical dieter is thinking about either bioavailability or nutrient density, or sorry, anti-nutrient density?
1: Definitely brought up by the carnivore crowd. And for a lot of those people who are um, going for carnivore, the, the guts are really messed up from whatever they've been eating up to that point in their life. And the carnivore approach is a very um, effective elimination diet to clean out every all the crap in their diet and just they cut out vegetable oils they cut out refined grains um, they cut out all those anti-nutrients and things that inflame their gut and they feel fantastic and it, it's a real revelation um and, and you know all power to them i would suggest that maybe they try some more nutrient-dense autoimmune friendly type foods to add back into their diet to see if they can tolerate those, to see if they feel better Um, to some degree and not really improving the strength of your your system by avoiding everything that's inflammatory. Maybe you have to do that. Maybe you can add back things to add more variety and more nutrients. But um, from a bioavailability point of view, um, iron and vitamin A are definitely less bioavailable from plant sources, um, but those two things are very, very easy to get from your diet, um, especially from an omnivorous diet. So, um, yeah, whether, whether your iron comes from plant-based or animal based sources, you're going to be getting more than the, the minimum amount. Um, omega-3 I definitely think is is hard to get from plant-based sources and it's not bioavailable in in plant-based sources so you're probably going to have to to go to animal-based food but it's not hard with a bit of fish um in your diet to to do that and i definitely think um the carnival crowd could do with a bit more fish and maybe eggs to get the choline to to balance that out um from a a anti-nutrient point of view you've got um, phytates and, and all the lectins uh, goitrogens, oxalates in particularly in grains and legumes and as we mentioned before focusing on nutrient density really takes out those inflammatory grains that contain the, the lectins that so so by focusing on nutrient density you're basically eliminating all those uh, those problematic foods and yeah maybe your your spinach and your your, your broccoli have some Um, phytic acid or goitrogens or whatever but for most people there are there are hormetic stress i mean ronda patrick waxes lyrical about the benefits of sulfurifying and and all the things in in uh, in broccoli that are beneficial for you because they have a they cause a hormetic stress like like exercise causes a hormetic stress stress or fasting causes a hormetic stress so for most people, I think it's not a concern. But if you, you know, if you don't do well, then try a, um, a, a autoimmune type nutrient dense diet. is is incredibly nutrient dense because again, you're cutting out all those crappy foods. But if you need to go to a, a carnivore um, meat only diet, then if that works for you, then once you've settled on that, you can try moving forward to
2: add in other nutrient dense foods back into your diet. So you mentioned the carnivore diet here, and I think that's probably a hot topic in fitness right now that we might want to address. So concerning the carnivore diet, what are some of the primary benefits as you see them? To name a few that I've observed, it provides people with consistency, which can improve dietary adherence. It's relying on principles that are easy to follow, the simple rule of only eating meat. It implies a ketogenic state of metabolism, which we can get into as you push back against that a bit, but it does require people to consume under 50 grams of carbs, and this leads to spontaneous reductions in energy intake. So this might lead to a caloric deficit, which improves people's weights over time. Many people consider this to be a satisfying diet, which is useful for adherence longer term, and those with the FODMAP or plant consumption-induced gut issues that you mentioned can find relief in consuming meat products that are more easily digested. Plus, it's pretty easy to cook meat in most cases. And the physiological pro of the carnivore diet is its high protein content, which can help preserve muscle mass, just to name a few. Anything you have to add there? Uh, I suppose it's
1: fascinating to to lurk in these Facebook groups and you see, you know, that the carnival is getting miraculous results where they do really, really, really well and they, they swear by it and this is the only way. And then you go lurk, lurk in the plant-based vegan groups and, and they say the same thing about their diet, that, that this is the only way and they feel fantastic. And I suppose the commonality, I've thought about this a lot, and the commonality seems to be that it just eliminates those highly processed mixtures of um, processed grains, starches, and vegetable oils that are just dominating a diet so if you eliminate those things everybody thrives and any diet that does really well you know it doesn't prioritize um things that come in a packet that have um artificial flavorings and are mainly um nutrient poor starches and vegetable oils so yeah, it's amazing how much that has those food sources have just boomed over the last 50 years because they're so cheap and they also make for very hyperpalatable foods that fill our glucose and fat stores at the same time in a way that just doesn't occur in nature. So everybody goes, wow, I just need more of that. So as soon as you cut those out and say they're against my religion, whether that be eating um, very low fat plants only or very high protein um animals only you're going to be doing really really well and as you said you get heaps of protein on the carnivore approach which a lot of people for whatever reason whether they're um, keto and trying to avoid protein so they can get higher ketones or um, or or, or just the general diet is it seems to be optimized for the amount of protein that um, maximizes intake and lowers satiety Um, people get enough protein to do really well and it removes all those crappy foods and they do really, really well. So that, that, I think that's the, the main reason Carnival worked. And it's definitely simple and easy to follow. And there's a lot of people doing it at the moment.
2: Yeah, to your point, processed foods play a huge role in promoting obesity because these foods are hyper palatable, more energy dense and potentially addictive. This means that people, as well as cheaper. So people can buy them at less cost, consume them for more acute enjoyment have higher cravings for them at some later points, eventually become addicted over time, and all the while consume a ton of calories considering the energy density. And be sponsored
1: by their own tax dollars because a lot of those crops are subsidized, ironically, to make them even cheaper because the dietary guidelines were really developed in a time where America was trying to feed their people more cost effectively, and that worked really well but uh you know 50 years later it's not very helpful for us
2: yeah and why preventative health care is definitely an area that needs to grow in coming years on to the cons of the carnivore diet or at least the potential cons what are a few that come to your mind i think a commonly voiced concern is that of risk of nutrient deficiency
1: definitely a fascinating area i'm 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 resident to jump in and say yeah you don't get enough nutrients because you do get the bioavailable nutrients so those things are going to be really easy to get into your diet um and you get plenty of protein which is a real benefit and there's an argument to say that um Vitamin C, you maybe don't need as much if you don't have as much glucose in your system. And I could make an argument to say that manganese and maybe, um, sorry, vitamin C, you don't need as much if you don't have as much glucose and potentially manganese and vitamin uh, E. um, Those targets are are set based on population averages, so maybe you don't need as much of that. Um, Vitamin K1, you can get from vitamin K2 when it's... um, converted in the body so if you're getting butter and, and those sorts of dairy fats in a carnivorous diet you can definitely get that conversion happening so k1 may not be a big deal um, but i think when it comes to like folate calcium um, magnesium potassium those sorts of nutrients do tend to be harder to find omega-3 if you're not eating a lot of uh, fish and and seafood on your carnivorous diet and potentially i think part of the factor as well too is if if you're eating animals that you know i'd prioritize a lot of kangaroo because i just love it and i've grown to love the taste but it's also full of um it's it's more nutrient dense in a lot of ways it's got more potassium and magnesium and um and it's not raised on grains in a in a shed um i don't know whether that's just a romantic argument but but i feel it tends to help me feel better and i think the health of food you're eating is important so if you've got healthier animals that you're eating you're potentially going to do pretty well um but again if if you don't really need to have a 100 percent carnivore diet then maybe adding in some nutrient dense green um, non-starchy veggies might be a good option just to round out those um, potassium magnesium um, those harder to find minerals, particularly that aren't as high in a, in a carnivorous diet. Um, and, and when you look at the, we've got a leaderboard there, um, the number of people that are right down the bottom um, tend to be uh, the really, really, really high fat keto approach and also potentially um, carnivorous. We don't have a lot of people who have logged their diet as carnivores, but carnivore doesn't rank up as well just because it doesn't have as much variety and yeah those are uh, the, the seafood and the non-starchy green veg tend to add a lot of really good nutrients into the picture to get a better but w- whether you can get adequate on a carnivore you probably can get enough but whether it's optimum and ideal and gonna make you thrive as well as you can it, it is arguable
0: yeah I don't want to get bogged down too long on this topic because we have a lot of to chew through uh, pun intended but uh, I do wonder how many people um, do not succeed on this because obviously if someone fails on a particular approach they won't be in they won't remain in the Facebook group and they won't brag about how miserably they failed so it's automatically you kind of get a self-selection and the survivor bias there um, both when it comes to veganism and both when it comes to carnivore diets so that's kind of one consideration that could we could just be seeing the people who survived uh, in quotation marks not literally but those who managed to stick to it and um, just from what we discussed here I mean um, we can all agree that variety is a spice of life as they say and the more diverse you can make your diet the better um, not just um, physiologically but also psychologically, socially I mean, just imagine having a girlfriend or a wife and Honey, what are you eating today? The same stuff i been eating for the past 20 years, meat. I mean, doesn't sound like an interesting or entertaining um, way to live your life. I mean, if it is for you, then good for you. But I don't think many people will will enjoy this. And then we have the potential long-term effect that may or may not be there.
2: Just a pedantic note, I wouldn't necessarily agree with the notion that diversity is the spice of life with regards to nutrition, because that really only applies if you're implying that you wouldn't consider consuming industrially produced trans fatty acids and or many of the processed foods that are sold in a grocery store. Because while some of those foods can be consumed at different points in time for psychological purposes... And just to maintain your sanity given the current food environment it's probably not physiologically optimal to consume a wide array of processed foods or other low nutrient sources
1: yeah and maybe just to add to that as well to to be pan in the ass there uh sensory specific satiety is a thing and if you're eating a wide variety of things then it's easy to eat more so if you know Variety is a spice of life if you're trying to eat more and um, put on more weight. But if you're trying to to really cut down, you know, your your lean bodybuilder diet is not going to be very um, entertaining, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, it depends on your goals, again, you know. But, um, yeah, having a wide variety of foods that are from a, a, a short list that are deemed to be nutrient-dense or, or optimum for your goals is probably... Um, ideal. I think we try to say, well, here's the, the list of foods and here's the list of meals from a wide variety of, you know, th- th- that are going to be good for you. Um, and you can choose within that whatever you feel the urge for at that point in time. And you're probably going to gravitate towards the things that you actually need at that point in time. Um, but it's good to exclude the things that are definitely not going to be good for you. Oh, yeah, 100%. I was, I
0: was just thinking, for example, if you limit, if you talk about the extremes and um, just eating meat, or just eating plants, or just eating these three foods, or these six foods. I mean, simply having fruits that um, that are only available during these uh, months, and then having some other fruits that are only available during these winter months, for example. Um, so that kind of stuff. That kind of variety is something that I personally would not like to uh, limit myself from. Just because I have this uh, belief in my head that may or may not be beneficial. Okay, so just to circle back to the nutrient density, I have a couple of um, further questions about it. So what are the nutrients that perhaps are the toughest to get in and um, you would consider supplementing with? And just as a second uh, question to that, and you can decide if you want to tackle them one at a time or both. What are the differences, if there are any, between quote-unquote natural sources and then the supplemental sources? Because we have the people who argue that, well, it's just the same. For example, if you listen to the Kahn versus Kresser debate, uh, Kahn was very big on, well... We should, just, we should just all go vegan and then just supplement with B12 or zinc or whatever we don't get from plants. Here's the
1: list of things I'm supplementing right now because my diet is inadequate, but it's best, Re- really.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Just here's the best diet, but by the way, you need a laundry list of supplements. But uh, yeah, so Kresser was pointing out that there might be some uh, inter, some connections or some relationships between nutrients that we might not be even aware of and um, that might be a potential uh, reason to get in as much as possible get them in from natural sources
1: um, yeah from a from a plant based diet we we're talking about before um, omega 3 b12 choline selenium methionine zinc leucine lysine pantoacid valine and then a bunch of your amino acids are really hard to find um, I've got a list here with the animal-based foods: K1, calcium, vitamin E, vitamin C, folate, magnesium, potassium, choline, pantothenic acid, thiamine tend to be harder to find on animal-based foods. Um, but yeah, to to your point, um, supplements are, you know, in in one way you're dumping a big chunk of, you know, you take a i'm trying to take a, a bit of extra magnesium to try and help my sleep because you know i'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff uh and trying to sleep better i just bought an aura ring and um magnesium helps me sleep but if you have too much the body says no no no, i don't need all that magnesium and it quickly shuttles it out of your body and uh yeah if, if you're dumping a big chunk of one supplement in a uh in your gut, then your gut's probably not going to deal with that and process it and digest it and assimilate it the same way it's going to um, do with a whole food, um, uh, those same nutrients in a whole food. And also um, you've got a whole lot of nutrient ratios that you need to balance between potassium and sodium and all these other different micronutrient balances that tend to cover come in... Um, well-raised animals and, and whole food and plants. Uh, so yeah, you need those balances. And Cressa uh, talks a lot about calcium um, supplementation not being beneficial. And uh, I think there's a recent release that um, fatty acids, uh, omega threes, from uh, aren't as nutrient uh, aren't as efficacious as actually eating fish. Um, so yeah, definitely, you're much safer to. Prioritize whole foods that are nutrient dense and then supplement if you need to. And I suppose the nutrient optimizer gives you a way to continue to improve your diet, so then you don't really need to rely on um, nutrient supplements as a crutch. But at the same time, um, I've got to mention that, you know, over the last 50, 60, 70 years as we've, we've continued to farm the same lands again and again and again and again and just add fossil fuel-based fertilisers, maybe a bit of potassium. Um, those those crops that we get out of those foods, that, 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 those, those lands and that we then feed to our animals, tend to be much lower in particularly calcium, magnesium, um, sodium, a lot of other nutrients. So we're getting much more nutrient-depleted foods in our shops that are grown for cheapness and and speed and color um, not necessarily flavor or or taste or nutrition which tend to come packaged together so there may still be some role for some supplementation but if you can find out what you're actually eating and what you need to supplement which will be different on a case-to-case basis then that can be a a good thing then you don't need to have a laundry list of of supplements that you may be uh, wasting your money or or over supplementing i think that's
2: probably right. As a general rule, it's better to get your vitamins, minerals, and other beneficial compounds from plants or whole food sources, rather, that have a lot more data behind their efficacy. And then if you need a shotgun approach, because you think you're at risk for a deficiency in any nutrient, then a multivitamin or some other supplement might be a last let a last-ditch approach. So fulfilling your micronutrient nutrient needs.
0: Um, Marty, have you seen anything, um, any studies or any data comparing the RDA versus what would be an optimal intake for someone who is also training, has a very high physical activity and as such, their um, their requirements might be higher than
1: uh, that of someone who is just sitting on the couch, not doing anything physical? Yeah, yeah, I mean, relevant question for your audience and definitely of interest, Um, not a massive amount other than um i suppose a a few thoughts are that any athlete potentially is 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 you know they're carving up or trying to get a lot of energy in quickly to refuel and that can tend to be energy dense nutrient poor. so you have to keep that in mind when you're choosing how you refuel and you're not going to be able to get the same level of nutrient density as if you're just saying well i'm going to have a thousand calories a day of uh lean meat and spinach and, and broccoli and, and and caviar or whatever you wanted to comprise your optimal diet of. But um, I think electrolytes particularly, you burn through, you burn through a lot more sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium. So you need to prioritise those. And if you're lifting, if you're doing resistance training, you're potentially going to need more protein, obviously, to recover. But um, as much as we argue round and round and round and round about protein Um, I found again and again, the more you prioritize those hard-to-find vitamins and minerals, you get a diet that has got heaps and heaps of protein and and way more than the RDA. So I suppose that's where I get um, tetchy and uh, have a bad reaction when anybody anybody talks about avoiding protein and minimizing protein, especially when it comes to increasing ketones, because then they just end up drinking fat and uh, getting very, very little micronutrient density and then saying, oh, I've stalled, why is that? It's like, well, you know. I was there we've all done that but um, let's move forward and you know if you don't focus on getting your ketones high you can uh, and focus on getting the nutrients you need you'll you'll feel better and maybe not eat as much but yeah for, from a athlete point of view um, particularly like electrolytes tend to be hard to get in our current food system. So that was episode 20 of the Muscle Engineer
0: podcast I hope you enjoyed it and you found something valuable. Uh, Look forward to the second part of this uh, roundtable discussion, which will be coming out in a couple of days. And that will cover mostly the subject of satiety, including the effects of protein on satiety. Uh, Before we wrap up this episode, I, as always, want to leave you guys with my top three takeaways that I thought would be important to highlight from this episode. The number one main lesson that I took away from this is the importance of having a community of like-minded individuals when you're trying to achieve a certain goal. So for example, Marty has that six-week challenge going on and for that he has set up a private group. In a similar way, shameless plug, I uh, also work with clients online and all of my online coaching clients get uh, entered into the private Facebook group where we can uh, all interact and we can support each other because we are... ultimately we're trying to achieve a similar goal and there have been numerous instances of um, such a community and the support group being beneficial for people so if you're trying to uh, change a certain behavior if you're trying to achieve a certain health or body composition rated goal it might be a good idea to um, find a friend or two who are on a similar uh, journey and you can support each other along the way The second point I wanted to highlight is the idea that while prioritizing nutrients is certainly a very good idea, you also must keep in mind that calories are the number one priority to tick off from your list of things to focus on. So while prioritizing nutrients is certainly beneficial, you can very easily go over your calorie target for the day, for example, by eating nut butters and uh, peanut butter and nuts and uh, other nutrient dense uh, food sources that also pack a ton of, uh, ton of calories. That's why I always put calories as the number one priority and then we list out the macro and micronutrients that we must, uh, that we must uh, hit through our uh, food sources. And uh, the third takeaway point is related to the second one. And is this idea of um, always keeping context in mind. So, for example, if um, gaining weight is your uh, goal, but you find it very hard, then it actually it might be a good idea to deprioritize nutrients a bit and reach for the more, quote-unquote, empty calories, more of the nutrient void, but calorie dense food items that can help you Drive those calories in while keeping um, food volume and um, satiety a bit lower. And obviously, in the opposite situation, you would do the opposite strategy, and you would mostly focus on uh, nutrient dense and um, high food volume options when buying your groceries, for example. Ultimately, it's all it's all individual, and you just gotta make your uh, gotta make your educated choice. And take the best decisions to reach your own goal in the most um, straightforward manner. So with that, I think uh, I'll end the episode here. I once again hope you enjoyed it and you found it beneficial. And until the next episode comes out, take care.